In this episode of the ESG Beat, we will speak with Jaron Dunning, Human Rights Director at PepsiCo Inc. Jaron will detail the process of creating PepsiCo's first Human Rights Impact Report, which was published on June 8, 2020. He will also reflect upon how that process enabled Pepsi to strengthen its risk oversight, which has proved particularly valuable as the company continues to navigate the COVID-19 pandemic. Welcome to the ESG Beat, Jaron. Thanks so much, Amelia. It's great to be here. I'm excited to dive into, into, into the topics today. So I'd like to start by just discussing your role and the relationship between human rights and ESG or sustainability, and just really briefly how that's governed at Pepsi. Yeah, so my role, I sit in our legal department, and I serve as legal counsel and also human rights director. And through these two hats, I really, through the legal hat, help um, advise the business on how we should manage and mitigate human rights risk. And then as human rights director, really work with a variety of subject matter experts throughout the business to help define um, PepsiCo's global human rights strategy and really put that into implementation throughout the company. So in terms of overall governance, we have a variety of different governance structures to manage human rights, really starting, um, I guess, at the most executive level with our board of directors that has a dedicated public policy and sustainability committee. Um, really with their oversight. Then we have PepsiCo's um, executive committee, um, which is you would think of as our CEO, his direct reports that provide oversight as well. Um, our chief um, human rights officer, human rights um, operating council, and then myself, all working in conjunction to really manage and oversee human rights at different levels throughout the business. Yeah, and we've talked in the past about how highly integrated and cross-functional the management of ESG and human rights is at PepsiCo from the board of directors to the executive committee um, down to um, the, the you know, human rights office. Um, I, I'd like to talk about a recent milestone now, which is a publication of your first human rights impact report. My question is this, why did you feel it was important to publish yet another report? And why didn't you, you know, and why didn't you put the information in your sustainability report or even in your financial disclosures? That's a great question. I think in the world of reporting and more reporting and over-reporting, you know, as, as we thought about this, we really have reached a milestone with our program as I think back to our first human rights policy in 2009 and the progress we've made since then, not only in, you know, evolving our policies and practices, but our thinking around human rights and how we understand the global context of the issues, our role and responsibility in helping address those, you know, what our key issues are and where do we need to go in terms of moving to the future. So our human rights report really provided to spa the space to put that down. It's, it's, I think, roughly, you know, 30, 30 plus pages, probably a little too much, you know, human rights information just to fit into a financial disclosure or the, the CSR report, but really wanting to have a place where we could put out where PepsiCo is, you know, where we've been and where we aspire to be um, on these issues and for stakeholders to go to. Um, you know, sometimes a lot of the questions I get is, you know, where is that additional information on X salient issue or on X governance process where you can only put so much on a web page? We, we thought it was time to really have a kind of a media disclosure to go into some of those practices. And um, was your thinking also driven by perhaps the fact that some human rights issues are financially material and others may not be financially material yet? And so uh, perhaps this offers a, you know, a way to disclose the information to 
to stakeholders, but not necessarily in a forum for investors, let's say. Yeah, I think it's, you know, still relevant for investors to view and, and to read. And for us, as we think about our human rights strategy, and this is where you probably get into the difference between materiality and, you know, saliency, we, we go through the salient human rights approach of looking at, you know, the likelihood of occurrence and the severity of those impacts and what are the key impacts that PepsiCo should be addressing. I think that's where it provides an opportunity for us for us to use that human rights framing for those stakeholders who are most interested in, in looking at that. I still think it's very, you know, helpful and insightful for investors to look at for, you know, NGOs, other external stakeholders who are looking particularly on human rights. Um, we do have information, say, in our, our you know, financial statements or in, um, you know, our CSR report that, that use kind of the broader materiality or ESG language. And I think kind of use those broader terms and broader themes. Okay, that's a very helpful distinction, the distinction between um, materiality and the materiality matrix and sustainability reports or financial materiality and SEC filings versus human rights salience. And we'll get to that in just a moment. But before we do that, I wanted to talk about the process at a high level of creating your uh, human rights report with a focus on stakeholders that you engage with at each step of the process. Did you find that the creation of that report had any sort of information forcing function so that you ended up, um, it ended up operating sort of like a mirror. Definitely. I think anytime you, you go to put down, you know, the information on what you've done, um, you know, how you think about certain issues and where you'd like to go, I think it's always a good time and a period of reflection. And I think for us, it definitely served as that is, you know, this, it serves purposes both externally and internally as well to inform ourselves of where we've been, to reflect on where we've been and how we've matured and the issues we want to focus on. I think, you know, as I think about our, our overall human rights strategy and kind of the four core pillars of our approach, whether it's, you know, embedding respect for human rights, conducting ongoing due diligence, engaging with our stakeholders and helping drive collaborative action, or, you know, kind of in the final pillar, how we're focused on providing effective grievance mechanisms access to remedy. As we think about that strategy, we're engaging with stakeholders along the way, um, kind of across each of those pillars, you know, take, for instance, embedding respect for human rights. That's where you find the policies, the training, the communications, and anytime we're updating a policy or, be, or engaging on that policy, you know, being able to pull in external stakeholder perspectives are increasingly important uh, to understand what's changing, you know, what the expectations are, what are the best practices that sometimes we may not be aware of. And I think that's why, you know, we kind of have engaging our stakeholders as a, a pillar of the strategy, but it really runs through all. Um, we're doing that on due diligence around grievances where stakeholders may bring issues to us um, for us to manage. And I think that's where it really does play a, a big part in the, the broader strategy, as well as when we sit down, we sat down to, you know, write the, the human rights report on reflecting on where we had been, some of the feedback we had gotten along the way, and how would we package that as we wanted to put out the report. So now let's go to that very helpful distinction that you articulated between salience and materiality. For those of us who aren't, you know, familiar with the human rights due diligence process, what's the, what's the difference between those two terms? Yeah, so I think as we consider kind of the different, you know, materiality um, frameworks that are out there, whether it's ESG, um, the SEC, or, you know, kind of looking from a human rights lens at saliency, which is really focused on what are the most negative potential impacts that a business can have on rights holders through its operations 
or business activities. And I think this, you know, from our perspective, we went through an exercise with an, an outside advisor to identify these, you know, mapping our, our potential risk across our value chain, looking at our due diligence findings, engaging with stakeholders, and using our Human Rights Operating Council as the working group to really look at these issues across our business and to prioritize what are those salient issues. And for us, you know, after we created the initial list of potential impacts we could have, we started to look at, okay, what is the severity of those impacts and the likelihood of occurrence? And this is in line with the, the UNG approach to find the short list of what are those focus areas that we need to prioritize for PepsiCo as we think about the human rights issues across our value chain. And this is how we came up with our list of six salient human rights issues, freedom of association, human right to water, land rights, workplace safety, um, working hours and wages, and vulnerable workers. And within the vulnerable workers group, really focusing on migrant workers, young workers, um, contract and temporary workers, as well as women. As through our analysis and engagement with external stakeholders, we found these groups to be among the most vulnerable of facing potential impacts across the value chain. So for us, from a human rights approach, we, we, we apply the saliency lens. And I know there are different ways of looking at it from you know, the SEC materiality or ESG. And for human rights, we wanted to follow uh, the UNGP approach of focusing on saliency and then embedding that within the business. And you went through this process fairly recently in terms of publishing your, your first report. As I understand it, it was you know, meant to be published mid-February, and then, of course, uh, the COVID pandemic happened. My next question is about the COVID pandemic. Did this process of going through the human rights due diligence framework, but also your past work in human rights due diligence, prepare you in any way from, for something that was unprecedented and unexpected? A great question, and I definitely think given COVID was something none of us were expecting or probably you know prepared for um, as much as we would have hoped to have been. So you know, with us, our commitment to human rights underpin our response and action to protect our employees, care for their families, and really support the communities we operate in around the world. And you know, I think you know many of these areas that we've seen come up as as COVID has really spread throughout the world overlap with our, our salient human rights issues. So as I mentioned before, workplace safety is one of our salient issues. And this was identified in 2017, uh, you know, when we, we did our first salient issue identification exercise. And it's something that was reinforced um, given everything that's going on now. Um, so, you know, as we are, are taking extensive measures to protect the health and safety of our employees from, you know, providing masks and other PPE equipment to really ensure that our, our associates are, you know, protected. And, and can be as much as possible. And, and even with that, of finding additional ways to help mitigate some of the potential impact on associates that are impacted by COVID um, with providing additional benefits, whether that's paid sick leave or, or additional things to ensure kind of adequately protected on that end. And I, I think, you know, another example there of how this relates is on the salient issue of vulnerable workers. I mean, you know, as you well know, across the U.S., COVID-19 has, you know, been disproportionately impacting African-American and Latino communities. We're facing higher rates of hospitalization, death, and economic hardship as a result. And in response to kind of this alarming disparity, PepsiCo, as well as our foundation, have, have launched initiatives to provide increased medical and economic aid to communities of color across the country 
you know, where the company has worked in those communities that, that we serve. So, so thank you for that description and for the examples of the nexus between your human rights strategy and how Pepsi is navigating both the COVID pandemic and your commitment to anti-racism. I'd like to now turn to my last question. I always like to end the ESG beat by giving our guests a magic wand and a crystal ball. So let's start with the wand. If I gave you a magic wand today, what would you change about the way that companies address human rights? I think one thing we've started to see more in the past few years is the push for collaboration um, among companies, among peers across industries to help address the systemic issues that we're all facing, um, whether it's you know forced labor, some of the other inequalities that we see around the world. I think it's even more incumbent and apparent upon us today to focus on collaborative action. How can we work together? to help address some of these issues and create the enabling environment that will you know, produce the society that we want. So if I had the magic wand, I think that would be one of the areas where I would you know, push us to continue to keep doing that, to collaborate, to partner together, to help address you know, the systemic challenges that underline a lot of the issues that we're facing today. Okay, and now for the crystal ball, where are we headed? You know, this period, as we've seen, you know, kind of glowing, economic uncertainty, political instability, and I think, you know, ESG will come out with even more focus, to be honest with you. I I think the importance and the highlight, whether it's supply chain resiliency, um, you know, human rights, whatever the issues may be, social equality are ever more apparent and front of mind, uh, not only for companies, but consumers as well. And I think, you know, as we come out of this, um, hopefully soon, as we think about the pandemic, I think we will be in a position where those issues are definitely embedded. I think for a lot of companies, they've always been important as, as with PepsiCo, we've been on this journey for quite a while, um, but they're ever more important as, as we see, you know, kind of managing through the pandemic, just how important some of these issues are. Thank you so much, Darren, for being with us today. And I look forward to looking into that crystal ball with you for um, the next year, certainly, and hopefully for years to come. Deeply grateful for your time. Thanks so much for having me. Enjoyed it. I'm Amelia Miazad from Berkeley Law. Thank you for staying on the ESG beat with me today.